in a packed service. We've had everything so far. We've had drama. We've had babies being baptized. We've had music. And now junior highs. Yeah, you can go to your go to life group room. We've got an awesome thing planned for you today. So I am here today to talk to you about change. So sometimes in life, we need to make changes. And sometimes in life, to make those changes, it's super easy. You see that there's a cheaper phone plan, you get your number switched, change, easy. You need to change your winter tires over, everybody's been doing that this week, easy. You either do it yourself or you get somebody else to do it. But sometimes in life, God calls you to make a change. And when God calls you to make a change, it's going to require a step of faith. So what is faith? So Hebrews 11.1 tells us this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So faith is something that gives us assurance about things that we can see in our future that nothing around us would actually tell us that that's going to happen. But we can be assured because of the faith that we do have that these things are going to happen because of the power of God in our life. So today, we're going to be talking about Ruth. So we're carrying on with our story study. And we're going to be talking about the faith of a foreign woman. So we're going to pick it up in Ruth chapter 1, obviously, the beginning of her story. And that's page 121 in your story Bible, if you have it. So here we go. You guys ready? Nope. Are you guys ready? Yeah, okay. Okay, Ruth chapter 1. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. You guys want a pro tip? If you're a Bible study leader and you have to read all these Bible names, say them as fast as you possibly can, and no one will ever question you on how you're pronouncing them, and they'll actually think that's how you're supposed to do it. So Elimelech, just say it as fast as you can, Elimelech, and no one's going to question you. So now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, so remember she left because of a famine, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road back that would take them to the land of Judah. So Ruth's story, it really starts with Naomi's story. So Naomi was at home in Israel with her husband Elimelech and her two sons, and there was a famine, and famines in the Bible, they often move people from one place to the other. So they had to go looking for food, so they moved to Moab, which is east of Israel, so it's across the Dead Sea is the country of Moab. So she moves there with her two sons. Her two sons marry Moabite women, so foreigners. They marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and then Elimelech and both of her sons, they die. So leaving Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah all alone as widows. So being a widow was pretty tough, really tough, actually. So Naomi decides, hey, we should probably just go back to Israel. I heard the famine's over, um, and we can find food, and 
Naomi would have been hoping that she could even find relatives. But she wouldn't have known at this point. She couldn't email back home and check what was going on. She'd have to be hoping and praying that she had relatives that would take care of her back in Israel. So we keep going. So they start heading back to Israel. So they're on their way. And then in verse 8, Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, they're on their way back, and Naomi says, Girls, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing, um, but you guys should go home and start your lives over. Me, I'm a widow. I'm not going to get married again, and even if I did, do you expect that I'm going to have more kids, and then you're going to wait, and then you're going to marry them? That's, that's just not likely. And then Orpah, she's like, that's a great point. I'm going to go home. You're too old for this. But Ruth, she says, no, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to go to this land with you. I'm going to be with you. And your God, he's going to be my God too. So this is where we pick up Ruth's story. So Ruth, she didn't have a whole lot to go on here. Not at all. She was leaving home for a land that her husband had left as a child. And she was following her mother-in-law, who was destined to remain a widow, and she would have known that this was going to be a very hard road, just the widow thing alone. Because that's why there's so many verses in the Bible, if you notice, telling us to take care of the widows and orphans, because it was such a hard life for them. And so not only that, but she was deciding to follow a God that she only knew through Naomi. This was not an easy path ahead. And then, not to mention that she was a Moabite, going to Israel. And the Israelites, they did not really like the Moabites. They were foreigners. There's even verses in Deuteronomy, you can look them up, um, telling the Israelites not to get too friendly with the Moabites because they didn't want them to rub off on them. But Ruth saw something in Naomi that made her want the God that she was following. So the story of Ruth, it's a story of faith. It's a story of big faith. And that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to look at Ruth's life and see what it looks like to take a step of faith and to remain faithful to God. Are you guys still with me? Yep, good. So we've got three steps that we're going to go through today of what it looks like to take a step of faith. And I've spent a lot of time crafting these, okay? They're going to be good. So point number one of what it looks like to take a step of faith is to, number one, take that step. Okay, really simple, but take that step. So two years of Bible college gets you. Okay. 
<laughs> so that first step for everybody, it looks different. For Ruth, it was committing to go to a land that she'd never been to before and living with a people that potentially didn't like her all that much, but believing that God was going to care for her and care for Naomi. So in my life, um, just a bit over five years ago, Aaron and I, my wife, we took a big step of faith. Um, we, weren't quite, we weren't married yet, but we felt that God was calling us um, to drop everything, quit our jobs, and move to South Africa and do missions work. So we got married, we raised about $5,000, quit our jobs, sold most of our stuff, and gave our cat to my parents. <laughs> this turned into a three-year thing, so they ended up keeping the cat for way longer than we told them, but we got the cat back now, and I regret it. Um, <laughs> cats are great, I love them. Um, so, if you don't know much about South Africa, there's townships all over South Africa from the remnants of apartheid when they actually um, split the, the black people and the white people up and made them live in different places. And those townships still exist today. So we were going to go live in one of these townships, um, which a lot of people thought was crazy. And a faith step, though, if it's something that you're believing God for, it needs to be just a little bit crazy. And there was lots of people who thought we were crazy enough just for the fact that we were going to go and work for free. We quit everything, we sold everything, we were just going to go work for free, for Jesus. So people thought we were crazy. But just to hit home a little more about this township and how it was, just a little bit crazy, I googled uh, Johannesburg travel tips. Um, and what came up is actually the exact spot that we lived. There's a travel tip of don't even go anywhere near this place. So <laughs> this is what it says, speaking of the townships. There are a few areas that you should avoid at all costs. There's a lot of crime here, and even many locals don't go into these areas because of safety issues. Alexandra, which is where we lived, is another area that is extremely dangerous and very easy to wander into. It is next to the road that takes you from the airport to Santon, which is the business district. It's an area that should be avoided at all costs, which is why you need to make sure you use a GPS, maps, or ask a reliable source how to get everywhere you need to go so that you don't happen into these areas. And man, we happened into these areas. We lived there. There was people that we would encounter all the time that would be like, guys, do you understand where you live? We'd be like, yeah, we get it. They're like, I've never even, these were locals. They'd never even been to this place in their life because they'd been told all their lives how dangerous it was to live there. So we had the crazy part of our faith step. We had that nailed. And you can imagine, we'd only been married for about eight weeks. So our parents, they really thought we had the crazy step nailed down. They were a little worried about us, but... We were believing that God would take care of us and provide for us, even though we, we actually didn't even have enough money to live for that year. The 5,000 wasn't enough. But it needs to be a bit crazy, because if it's not a bit crazy, then you don't need God to do it. If it's not a bit crazy, then you don't need faith to see it done. So that first step, it is so exciting when you take that step. So exciting, you're pumped. You're believing for that end result. You're seeing things done in Jesus' name. You're seeing that end result. You're beginning with the end in mind. And you can just, you can see it. It's awesome. So Aaron and I, we sold our stuff. We bought plane tickets. We gave our cats to my parents. And we flew to Johannesburg and we landed. When we got to the airport, there was nobody there to pick us up. So eventually we made our way to Alexandra. 
Um, took a little bit of time, but we got there. And has anyone seen, I don't know if it's still on TV, but um, like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, anyone seen that? They kind of like remake a house. They show you the before picture and the after picture. Um, so we're about to see our new home. They're about to swing the door open. And they swing the door open, and our home is the before picture in all of these. It is super dirty. It's, a, it's literally a storage room. Um, there's spiders in it. There's lizards. The toilet's broken. And the best part, oh, a dirty mattress on the wall that ended up being our bed. And the best part was that our shower, when you touch the knobs when you're showering, it shocked you. <laughs> so you turn it on or turn it off or adjust the temperature, and you can feel electricity going through your body. We actually had an electrician come in, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. It, that's weird. But <laughs> didn't fix it. So we lived with that. It was great. Best part of waking up. Um, and our kitchen supplies, we had a kettle and a toaster. It was actually as if they didn't know we were coming. Um, so here we are, newly married. I've got my beautiful new wife, and we're moving into our first home together. <laughs> Taking this huge faith step, and you know what I'm thinking now? Which leads me beautifully into point two. Oh, Flip, what am I doing? So when you stepped out in faith to do something that is a bit crazy, that you're going to need God's help to get done, it's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, it wouldn't require faith. So back to Ruth. Ruth willingly signed herself up to be a widow in ancient Israel, and she would have known that this wasn't going to be an easy road. But here's what she didn't do. She didn't take her step of faith, which is going to Israel. She didn't get there, sit down, and just wait for God to provide for her. She didn't just sit there and wait for God to provide everything for her and for Naomi. What did she do? She, at the beginning of chapter 2, we see that she goes to Boaz's field. Boaz is the field owner. And she begins gleaning from his field. So gleaning um, is where you go around and you just pick up the things that the harvesters have left. And in Israelite law, there was a law that said that field owners, you needed to leave the corners of your field untouched, and anything that was dropped was also for the poor people. So this kind of created Israelite welfare system, and it was also in place to teach these field owners um, not to be so greedy, that they don't need everything that they produce. So we have Ruth working the fields, taking initiative to provide for herself and for Naomi through the avenue that God had already provided for her. But I think we can all agree that this wouldn't have been easy. She would have had to swallow her pride, pick up scraps of food with all the other orphans and widows and poor people, and live a different kind of life than she was used to. And we even see that there was an element of danger later on in this. We, Boaz has to specifically instruct his workers not to treat her roughly or harshly which means that these field workers would have normally been pretty hard on people who were picking up scraps out of the field. So Ruth, she had to make this big change in her life, and I think we all know that change is never easy. So I've got a graphic that's going to go up on the screen. Yep. So chaos organization growth. So um, this is a simple model here that of what it looks like when we make a change. So you can imagine that you've decided to make a change that's would be above the word chaos. You've decided to make a change 
in your life. It could be in your business. It could be a strategy that you're implementing. Whatever. You'll see this to be true in your own life. So you decided to make a change. And we're going to use uh, the example of somebody who wants to get fit. So you're, you saw an infomercial or something, and you're just like, man, I'm going to get ripped. So you learn two things. You learn, I need to exercise, and I need to eat right. So day one, and I don't know about you guys, but yesterday I used all 24 hours of my day doing something, but now I have new stuff that I need to cram into it. And so I start day number one, and I work out. I'm like, okay, that's all right. Not so bad. But then you keep going, and you have to figure out time to make all this food. You have to figure out time to shop for this food. And then the next day, you have to figure out time again to, to go to work. But you didn't have time for this um, the other day, and then you have to have time to work out. And then you're starting to feel sore. And then if you're bringing your food to work, you've got like 80 Tupperwares. And then they're all dirty, and then you can't find any of the lids. Nothing fits, and you're getting a little frustrated, and then the next day, okay, I'm going to wake up early to go to the gym, but you're so tired from working out the day before that you sleep through your alarm, and then you don't have time to work out, you don't have time to eat your good food, then you stop at McDonald's on the way to work, and you're just like, man, this is impossible. I quit. And then you exit the chaos stage and go back to the way things were, to the way things used to be. Or... You get organized. So all that same stuff happens, but then you're like, okay, I am binge-watching Netflix a little too much, so I can cut that out, or maybe I can binge-watch my Netflix as I prep all of this food that I have to eat, and then you start to get into a bit of a rhythm, you're starting to get organized, and then all of a sudden, after you've put all these new changes into your life, you get organized and you see some results, which is the growth stage. So whatever this change is, the growth stage is when you start to see some results. So I know firsthand what this chaos stage looks like when you go to take a step of faith. When Aaron and I, when we arrived in South Africa, um, we had done all of our fundraising based on the idea that we were going to go start certain projects in the township. And when we got there, the head of the organization, um, they went on burnout leave immediately. So we were told that there was no new projects that were going to start. All of your projects are canceled. And we kind of got shoved off to the side, and they were like, thanks for coming, um, find something to do. So we're there, and man, let me tell you, that was hard. That was really hard. It was not as easy as we wanted it to be, but we did have a choice. And I'll be honest with you, I remember looking for other mission opportunities throughout all of Africa. I was looking for anything, somewhere else to go. Um, I was praying for God to just get me out of there. And I can imagine that Ruth, she could have been praying that God would maybe make things a bit easier for her. That maybe someone would just deliver her some food rather than her having to go out and pick all, all this stuff and swallow her pride and all of that. But what did Ruth do? She remained faithful, which is point number three. Hold on and remain faithful. So Ruth, she keeps showing up. And as we read on in the story, we meet her husband's relative, Boaz. So Boaz is the field owner that she was gleaning from. So he has a unique role to play in the family as the family's kinsman redeemer. So kinsman, meaning that he is the kin of someone, and so he is the kin of um, her dead husband. 
So the kinsman redeemer, he would come in and marry the widow, kind of taking on all of, all of the property and the family and protect them and carry on the family line through children. So if Ruth didn't keep showing up in that field to collect grain and put her hand to what was in front of her, if she didn't remain faithful, Boaz never would have noticed her. Because it says that Boaz was amazed at Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi. So we'll go to Ruth 2.10. And that's on page 123 at the bottom in your story. So 2.10. So Boaz has just given Ruth some water. So at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner, so a Moabite? She wasn't expecting to be treated well. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the God, by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz was amazed that she had come to live in their land and live this life of a widow with a widow because of her love for Naomi and her love for a God that wasn't supposed to be hers. So whatever your step of faith is, and I hope you guys are starting to think about what your step of faith might be, it's something that you're believing God for. And if it's something that you're believing God for, that means it's an area of your life that you're asking God's kingdom to come even more. And if you're asking God's kingdom to come more into your life, that means that the enemy will be losing ground. So if you're retaking ground from the enemy or you're planning to retake ground from the enemy in Jesus' name, that means that there's nothing that the enemy would like more than for you to turn back, for you to get caught up in this chaos stage and to go back to the beginning, to the way things were, to where it's safe, to where you know everything and where you don't want any change. And I believe there's nothing that the enemy would have liked more than for Aaron and I to just go back home, go back to the way things were, to where we feel appreciated, to where we know we're loved, to just go back home. But we held on, and we remained faithful with what was in front of us, which honestly wasn't much. So what did Aaron and I, um, we had tons of kids at our doorstep. We had an entire township of kids. Um, So we started an after-school program for these kids, um, they were called, we called them child-headed households. So these were kids raising kids. So we had like 10-year-olds um, that would come in with like three-year-olds on their hips. And so all, a lot of their parents had been wiped out from AIDS. Um, so there was an entire generation that was being raised by grandparents because, um, yeah, the parents had all passed away. So we'd have these kids into our, into our home, and we would um, help them with homework. We'd feed them, and we'd tell them about Jesus. And that program is still running today. Was it easy, though? Not at all. Not easy. Was it worth it? Absolutely. And did we see God do amazing things in and through all of that? 100% we did. And it was in South Africa that Aaron and I, we really felt called to ministry. So from South Africa, we moved to Australia to do our Bible college. And from Australia, we ended up here, which has been awesome. So Ruth, she remained faithful to God through this story. And she remained faithful to Naomi. So Ruth's story, it wraps up beautifully with Boaz marrying her 
and we can see how God was at work through it all. And the neat thing that I would encourage you to go back and check out is that God, he doesn't really intervene in the story the way we've seen up until this point. Like in Exodus, we see God parting the waters, and last week, Gideon being told to, yeah, whittle down your army and watch what I'm going to do. Um, Ruth, the Lord is talked about in this story, but Ruth doesn't have any conversations with God. But it's clear to see that he was at work through it all. And we can look at Ruth's life, and we can see a life of faith well lived. And we can see God blessing her throughout her life, and that he was at work in the midst of very, very ordinary circumstances. So not only was God able to turn her story around into this amazing finish, but he was also able to further the upper story. So we've, if you're new here, we're talking about um, the upper story and the lower story. The upper story being what God's been doing since the beginning of time and what he'll continue to do until um, the world is restored to the way it was and doing this through Jesus. And the lower story being where our lives, they intersect and interact with this amazing story that God is writing. So Ruth, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David, and from King David was the family that Jesus was going to be born into. And there's no way Ruth knew that was happening. No way. So can you imagine what God might be doing in your life right now that you have no idea of? No idea at all. You won't know until you meet God face to face what he's been doing all this time. So I can look at my life and I can see back in my past where God was working. I can see that at times in my life when I couldn't see God, hear God, or feel God, I can see that he was clearly doing something. And we can look at Ruth's life and see the same thing. And we can look at your life you might be able to see the same thing in your life, that God was doing something, even though you couldn't see him, feel him, or hear him. So what I can see in my life is that God was growing me, and he was pushing me as I pushed on in faith. So even when I couldn't see what he was doing. But God wants to grow us in these faith steps. And on the other side of your faith step, he wants you to look a bit more like Jesus on the other side. And not only that, he wants you to take your faith step that you completed, he wants you to use that to fuel your future faith step by looking back and seeing what he's done. So remember what he's done for you. And I can know that he's at work in my life, and you can know that he's at work in, our, in your life, even when you can't see him, hear him, or feel him. We're going to look at Hebrews 13.8. It says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus is consistent. It says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can look at Ruth's life, and we can see that Jesus was clearly at work, even when she maybe couldn't see him, hear him, or feel him. And I can look at my life, and I can see that God was at work in it even when I couldn't see him, hear him, or feel him. And you can look at your life in retrospect and in hindsight and see, yeah, God was at work. He was setting something up bigger that I couldn't see, even when I couldn't see him, hear him, or feel him. So you know what that means for our life right now? 
that must mean that he is at work right now. Even if you can't see him, feel him, or hear him, God is at work in the background. That doesn't mean that our lives are going to be perfect, but it does mean that God is up to something good. So our three points of what does it look like to take that step of faith, to walk that out. Number one was just take that step. And number two, when you get to the point of, wow, what am I doing? Just hold on and remain faithful. That's point number three. So where are you in those steps right now? I really believe that you should be able to place yourself in one of those three. You might even be able to put yourself in two or three of the categories in different areas of your life. What are you believing God for right now? Are you believing for provision? Are you believing for a relationship restored, a marriage restored? Are you believing for healing? Are you believing for your kids to come back to Jesus? Or like these parents who just had their kids baptized today, that's a faith step right there. Going to raise Jesus followers? That might get tough. I bet it will. But in faith, they're saying that they're going to do it. Or maybe today you're just on the edge of taking that faith step of, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. Maybe that's your faith step today. But what are you believing God for today? Or what are you going to start believing God for today? So take that step. Take that step of faith. And when you ask yourself, what am I doing? Hold on. Remain faithful. Because God is at work and he's up to something good in your life. Let's pray. God, we just, we thank you that you are up to something good. Um, God, I believe you're up to something good in all of our lives, and you're up to something good in this church. And for people, wherever they're at today, God, I pray that you would just give us the courage to hold on, to hold on in those faith steps, Lord. Um, And for the people here today that maybe they're feeling like, I'd love to take that faith step of following Jesus. God, I I pray that you would give them the courage because that is the best choice that they could ever make. And God, I just pray that you continue to work in our lives, Lord, and show us little glimpses and help us to use our past, use the areas of our life where we've seen you do amazing things. God, I pray that that would just fuel us into our next faith step. So Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. And everybody said... you stand and worship with us? And this song we're going to sing, you'll probably know it by now, Only King Forever. And I love this song because just as Brennan was saying, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that God is on the throne, that he knows what's happening in our lives. He knows every detail And he's here for us in every moment. And he's got it under control. And he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purposes. So let's just sing this in faith this morning, no matter where you're at, just trusting that he's our king.